I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome, everyone, to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W., filling in again while Paul's still not well. Uh, we're really hoping it gets better soon, but in the meantime, I've still got my co-pilot, Steve D, with me. How are you doing, Steve? Have you had a good week? Yeah, I've had a... I've had a pretty good week. I've had a bit of a spendy week, really. Um, I've I've trekked myself. I've had a one plus five T since it, the day it came out. So I think it must be about five and a half years old. And currently, the battery was only lasting me about uh, halfway halfway into the day. Um, so it was getting a bit of a, a nuisance, really. So I've trekked myself to a um, a Google Pixel Six, uh, which is is very nice. It's here, sat in front of me. And I've also trekked myself to Monzo Premium, which is something we. Uh, we probably haven't spoke about before. I'm not sure what the massive value attraction is there, other than we get worldwide travel insurance and I get to protect my Pixel Pixel Six when when I inevitably throw it down the cavity on a building site. Um, so yeah, I think it's been a bit of a spendy day, but yeah, uh, portfolio is doing really well as well. To see some nice game Monday was a crazy day. I got some uh, eight, nine, ten percent. I got my first spiffy pop, which we'll probably talk about at some point. Um, but yeah, how about you? How's your how's your week been so far? It's been an interesting week. There's there's a few things to kind of pick up on there actually. I was so you're another OnePlus guy. I had a OnePlus for quite a while as well. I had the mm. OnePlus One uh, back in the day. Um, and when I was looking at some phone stats actually, when I was looking at some stuff around Apple and the iPhone, I saw that OnePlus has at least by their own kind of statements, the best kind of customer retention. Most people that have a OnePlus would very much like to stay with OnePlus. Hmm. Most people who are with kind of any other uh, company are sort of fairly indifferent. I've actually left them, and so have you. Um, mm-hmm. But I've left them for Motorola and their thing with a really long battery life because I felt um, having had my OnePlus struggle with battery like yours eventually did, uh, I was prepared to basically put quite a lot into getting the best battery I could find. And the yeah. G7 power that I have, which is Motorola, is is really good for that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, but it's been a pretty good week. Uh, it's been a nice day for both you and me uh, today. Um, you sent me a nice message to check my account and find that I have in it what you and I call a squibbidant. Uh So it's the day that we receive our Bristol-Myers squib uh, dividends, which is always nice and something that we... Um, generally make a point of celebrating is that is that a, a bristol myers squid t-shirt that i'm seeing there that is a bristol myers squid t-shirt if uh, anybody wants to make a merry squibsmas or a squibbidden t-shirt we would be uh, much obliged to to have somebody with some actual skills designing them but <laughs> yeah squibbidden was one of my ideas for a t-shirt but i couldn't find an appropriate free looking uh image in stocks <laughs> though things have been pretty good uh i i thought about going spending uh i i Cleared out one of my, my other farmer, actually, which was Roche, uh, in order to actually push it towards Bristol Myers Squibb earlier in the week. So kind of around the weekend, I was thinking about this kind of idea. And predictably enough, I sold Roche uh, and both Roche and Bristol Myers Squibb have gone up. So I'm currently sat looking at what to do with that now. But it's mm. not the worst thing in the world to have a bit of cash available around earnings season. Uh, there's still some things coming down that I'm interested in. And it's been an interesting little learnings run so far, actually. Um so we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But if you were listening last week to uh, playing Foot Steve, as it was then, 
you'll know that um, with Paul not here, I basically made uh, Steve play a game about Bristol Myers Squibb all by himself. Um, and he played as a one player and he managed to score 12 out of, I guess, strictly there were 20 available. But the special trick or treat Halloween twist that I had meant that he didn't always have the full range available to him. So uh, this week, alas, Paul is still not here, um, and I've never been uh, more sad to be without him. Um, <laughs> but this week, uh, we're playing a game that I presume is called Steve D's Revenge or something like that. Uh, I'm playing by myself this time. Come on in, Steve, what we got? Well, I don't actually have a name for the game. Um, I was thinking torture, but, you know, it's probably just not got the pleasantries that I, I, I probably want from the name. So if anybody's got a, a good name for this game with a suitable pun in it, please let us know in in, uh, in the comments section. So I'm going to call it Brand Game <laughs> for now. Um, basically, I've got a, a list of brands that you probably didn't know were owned by much bigger companies. So Steve's going to do a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. He's going to give me a number between 1 and 10. I'll read out the brand, and Steve has to tell me who, um, well, which conglomerate owns the brand. Uh, I will give him, just because of trick-or-treat last week, I'll give him two points for a correct answer. I'll give him... Um, if he gets it first time, if he gets it second time, I will give him one point. Um, so he's got 12 to beat uh, from the torture I enjoyed last week of trying to figure out what the first name of Mr. Squib was and when Bristol Myers and Squib merged. Um, so, Steve, pick a number between one and ten and best of I luck. I suppose it matters a lot less when I'm the only person playing this game, so I'm going to pick them all eventually anyway. Uh, normally, I would there would be at least some element of luck of trying to leave Paul with a uh, a difficult one or hoping to leave Paul with a difficult one you can't really try. But let's start and tr let's try and confuse myself and forget what numbers I've picked. Three. Three. Okay. Three is, and uh, before we came on, I, I did tell Steve the name of the game and I said that there would be a couple of gimmies in here. And oh, um, this is one of the gimmies. Oh dear. The brand in question is Tinder. Uh, oh, um, hmm. I was not aware that was owned by somebody else. Uh, I spend less time on Tinder than you or Paul, so uh... <laughs> I suppose t <laughs> I, I suppose they're only a gimme if you know the answer. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, so you said you had three gimmies, which means that I'm waiting to hear something like Geico or Fruit of the Loom or Burlington Northern or something like that. But I don't think Berkshire Hathaway owns Tinder. I'm going to try the idea that Tinder is owned by Match.com. It, it is correctly owned by Match Group. But I'll give uh, you that. Yeah. Well done, Steve. Oh, please with that. Okay, that's, that's gimme number one out the way, huh? Mm, uh, I thought that's. Uh, I thought it was pretty. Sure. I thought everybody knew that Match Group pretty much owns all the really good dating apps, um, and it's probably one of the reasons it's a it's a hot favourite of Motley Fool is that. They have all the best dating apps, and then when they don't have it, they go and buy it. So, I heard Match Group being um, mooted as a kind of trader idea for what it was worth, actually, around the kind of start of the reopening. The idea that people having been shut inside with their partners would all be desperate to get out again and meet anybody else. I'm not quite <laughs> sure how well that worked out. Absolutely, I should probably look yeah. into the stock price on that one. Uh, you shouldn't agree with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's absolutely not true here. Um, but uh, let's try number one, then. Okay, number one. And it's um old favourite, and I was probably dressed as one of them um, last week. PG Tips. 
Ooh, okay. PG tips. Uh, that's tricky. Um, hmm. So there's a few that might own this. Uh, I think PG Tips might be UK based, uh, or at least owned by a UK conglomerate, which gives leads me towards a couple of choices, like Unilever uh, for one. That's not my answer just yet. Uh, Associated British Foods, I guess, is another um, candidate in this sort of space. There's also Premier Foods. Uh, Premier is it Premier Foods? The people who make um loads of kind of generic stuff i think uh they make ambrosia for all that's worth oh, i wonder if that's coming up i should stop giving away all the stuff i know when there's potential questions still to come uh let's try associated british food that is incorrect ah would you like to earn yourself mm, a point okay. by having a second guess so my second guess, uh, i'm not sure i have another second guess i'm gonna say unilever but i think that's wrong as well that is correct. Oh, that's annoying. And that's a point. really annoying. It is, yes. The minute you said Unilever, I was like, oh, 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 no, he's going somewhere else. Fair enough. <laughs> I got myself faked out in the kind of meta game here. I thought to myself, if this was Unilever, uh, Steve will tell me this is a gimme. Mm. Uh, and because he didn't, I thought maybe it was ABF. Uh, okay, never mind. Uh, well, one point is better than nothing, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Next number. Uh, okay. Let's see what's hiding behind lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. It's uh, not my lucky number seven, by the way. Is Toblerone. Ah, it is lucky number seven. Uh, this one I do know. Um, uh, yeah, you got you caught me slightly in a moment of weakness here. Uh, sometimes when I watch Buffett eating all the kind of uh, seized candy stuff, I look to myself and think, that'd be nice to own a kind of... Uh, candy company but it's the same bunch who also make oreos and make uh own all the cadbury stuff outside of the uk i think so this is mondelez right that's correct well mm. done this 12 is looking painfully weak <laughs> <laughs> oh you're just nicer than i am don't ask me what year mondelez was spun out of craft times were you but uh <laughs> Might have been about 2018. I'm not sure about that. Um, okay, so I've had three, one, and seven so far. Let's pick an even number. Let's go for number 10. Number 10 is there are the 10, one. Aren't there? Yeah, they are 10. Good. And number 10 is the one I would expect you to not know, but you know, okay. you may surprise me. Uh, it is Scottish Power. Hmm. hmm. Scottish Power. So we're in what feels like the utility. I mean, it feels like there's only about three things that could own them uh, since all the other power providers have gone bust. Um, although I think Bulb is still in existence. At least they keep taking money out of my account. So they clearly didn't go broke at yeah, mine too, that yeah. I'm aware of. Uh, it's taken quite a lot of it off me as well, which I'm not sure whether I'm, I can't be going through gas at that rate. But um, Scottish Power, let's try EDF. That is... Incorrect. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Scottish Power, then. Who else might own that? Oh, dear. Now I have a couple of ideas, uh, and I don't like having more than one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's try the wild one, uh, the slightly wild and crazy one. Let's try Glencore. That is incorrect. Oh, so imagine my surprise when I found out that Scottish Power was owned in full by Iberdrola. Oh, so they're Spanish-owned. 
Mm-hmm. It was very strange. I, I when I stumbled across it, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to double check that, and uh, yeah, did a bit more googling, and there it is. So I'm very interested. Never spotted that before. That's interesting. So is it Glencore and British Gas or something like that, or am I thinking I'm of a different? Sure. Centrica, okay. Centrica's British Gas. Uh, Centrica, Centrica's what I meant to say, not Glencore. Actually, uh, that's a mining yeah. company, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which surprised me that it owned British Gas in my head. Well, if uh, it was right, that would have been the craziest guess ever, considering you didn't even mean that company. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be in Paul territory. Uh, okay, uh, two, two is another gimme, which I'm regretting putting in. Um, Arm and Hammer is one you told me about. Uh, you found this by raiding around your own bathroom, from what I understand of it, which I That's suppose correct. is where you keep the Arm and Hammer stuff. Yeah, um, friend of the show uh, Chuck Carnival likes featuring it a lot on his uh, Fast Graph stuff because it tends to be quite a long way off its own line. Uh, it's Church and Dwight, right? That is correct. Two mm. points. All right, I'm just going to scrub off all the other gimmies. Um... <laughs> There is now six questions. Yep. <laughs> What's your next one, Steve? Uh, <laughs> there's now six questions, many of which are small subsidiaries of Roper Technologies or something. Exactly. Uh, uh, is four still available? Or have four you got rid of that? is available. And it is Verbo. V-R-B-O. Ah, uh, Verbo. Mm. Yeah. This is not a gimme. Uh, this I have not heard of, and I don't know what it does. So that doesn't really narrow it down very much. I could help you if you want a hint, but you're only getting a point off the back of my hint. Hmm. Yeah, go on then. Let's give away a point for a hint. It's the biggest rival to Airbnb. Oh, interesting. So is it owned by Booking Holdings? That is. Correct. Mm. Thanks for that. That's a... Uh... Very yeah, I was always really bad at hints. My my mum basically once told me to um, go and give my dad uh, a hint of what his Christmas present was, thinking I would come up with something <laughs> witty. I was only young. This was when I was like 18 or something. <laughs> I was like 16. Uh, <laughs> and I told him, it's something that will uh, you can drink your tea out of. <laughs> Which, you know, doesn't narrow it down too much. But you're on eight points, Steve. There is a chance to go well clear here. Um, you've got five, six, eight, and nine left. What would you like to okay. go for? Okay. By the way, just uh, it's happened to come off my phone as we record this. It's Tuesday at the moment uh, for people who are not sure when we record these because it changes quite a lot. Mondelez has just beaten its earnings um, by that quick bit of Toblerone advertising that Steve managed to chuck in there. Yeah. Congratulations, people, for eating so much chocolate during the coronavirus yeah. break. I've joined Let's... you. <laughs> yeah, I bought some dairy milk earlier, actually. Let's try five. Five is, I considered it a gimme, but it depends if you know it, but it's The Muppets. Hmm. Who owns The Muppets? Uh, huh, that's interesting. If you consider it a gimme, that's interesting. Because I think the fact that you consider it a gimme leads me towards the idea that it might be Disney. That is correct. Mm. He moves on to ten. He's just got the horrible ones left. 
I am glad that you told me that was a, I, I, well, I, I, to be honest, you saying it was a gimme didn't make much difference. I didn't really have a second guess lined up if it wasn't Disney, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, well, I usually think with the Muppets, you would you would try and line up one of the TV station sort of channels they were on and perhaps somebody they've been acquired by. But yeah, it was, it was a strange so one. So I was wondering about something like Universal, yeah. Yeah, um, my my wife had no idea that it was, uh, it was a, a Disney thing. So there you go. Disney okay. owns everything. Uh, right, let's see what horrible thing you've got behind my lucky number six. Lucky number six is Naked Juice. Okay. Um, hmm. So, those I think I've seen in um, Tesco's and the like. So, who makes those Yeah, they're about £17 things? for a 100ml smoothie, usually, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, spoken like a true northerner. Uh, <laughs> uh, go next door and go to Greg's instead. Um, yeah, naked juice. Okay, so it's presumably not owned by Unilever because we've already had those. Um, I wonder who's looking towards healthier fare uh, in that case with their kind of lineups. Um, it's owned by Pepsi. That is correct. Unbelievably crazy guess. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking, I didn't know whether you'd throw you down the Isle of Coke or whether you would be looking at, you know, Unilever or or brands like that. If they'd come down in a different order, I may well have gone for Unilever. If I'd had that mm. before and had the question where the answer was actually Unilever, that probably would have been my first guess. Uh, Coke is not a good choice here, I don't think, if you if you don't know. It's a terrible mm. choice if you do know. But <laughs> if you don't know, it's not a good choice because Coke has recently been kind of slimming down its brand Mm -hmm. uh, lines. I was listening to a Motley Fool podcast this morning, which said they've been struggling away with Powerade uh, and might be considering kicking that out as well. So they they're mm. not shy about pairing things back and focusing on more things that have higher margins. Whereas Pepsi is the much more diversified, but being more diversified leaves you exposed to stuff that doesn't have quite such high margins. I think that's more thinking about savoury snacks and stuff than mm. uh, juices, particularly. But Pepsi is a decent idea uh, for a guest there, rather than Coke. Think hmm. on that one absolutely uh okay nine nine is uh famous english brand newcastle brown ale hmm. nuki brown it's not from nuki brown no it's not for that's not that near you anyway is it newcastle no no no, no. but you'd call me much much further area. up oh yeah. i see yeah uh <laughs> it's much further up than you are uh hmm. The right side of the country, though, right? Uh, yeah. You're both over the east. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, so Nuki Brown, famous English thing. I wonder whether there's some misdirection there. I doubt very much that... Uh, so here's a company I know it's not, um, for what it's worth. I've got about three ideas for what it might be, which is annoying. I'm pretty sure they're not owned by a Boston Beer Company <laughs> because they only have about five brands, um, and four of them I've never heard of. <laughs> Uh, they continue to do horribly as a stock, by the way, in case anyone's interested. Uh, but their time <laughs> will come. Um, so, a few options here, then. Uh, options are Anheuser-Busch, I guess, who own a lot of brands of stuff. Um, Constellation Brands is another option. Uh, and the other one has a ticker symbol that I can remember, but I've forgotten the friggin' name of them. Um, What's the ticker? Well, Constellation Brands, I think, is STZ, and I think... Oh, it's Molten Coors, sorry, is the other one that okay. I'm thinking of. Ticker that's beer, isn't it? Oh, tap, that's it, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Um, uh, and Anheuser Bush is Bud uh, as a ticker symbol. That's right. Um, none of which tells me which one owns Newcastle Brown. Um, let's try Anheuser Bush because they're the biggest. That is incorrect. Mm. Would you like a second guess for a point? Uh, naturally, I would, but I don't know as I like either of the other two here. Because I seem to remember, I think it was Molson Coors acquired uh, some stuff out of Anheuser-Busch who were kind of debt-stricken about a year or so ago now, including the um, Corona brand, uh, because that was a thing that everyone wanted to be associated with at the time. Um, I now wonder whether I want to try something a bit more local, Um, like... Let's try Diageo, see where that takes us. That is also mm-hmm. incorrect. So that's first, is that the first one you've got wrong? No, is I it? got number 10 wrong. I can't remember what that was. Oh, of course, yeah, that was Scottish Power, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, this is actually owned by Heineken. Um, ah, you probably weren't was, local enough first up. I was um, inching my way round towards that, but then I yeah didn't inch enough, basically. So um, it would be an odd tie, um, but... Number eight is the Number brand eight it is. Quaker Oats. Oh, no. Um, Quaker Oats? Yeah, we need some uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire music here, don't we? Like, doom, 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 doom. Hmm. That's interesting, because my instinct was a company we've already had, and I don't think you've put them on there twice. Which makes me think that that's probably not right. My instinct was Pepsi, and I thought that was part of their kind of snacks range. Which so I now no longer think it's Pepsi anymore. Uh, hmm. I don't think uh, Kellogg's makes these. I eat Quaker Oats. I can't think who the hell owns them, uh, which is annoying. But I thought they were. Hmm. I thought they were part of the Quaker Oats company, but then I think they were acquired, and I'm not sure who that is. Um, hmm. I don't think it's General Mills, uh, because I think pretty much, I think they have, I think they make Cheerios, uh, Hmm. as their cereal, and I think pretty much nothing else. I don't think it's Nestle, because Nestle have their Nestle brand thing on pretty much all of their packaging. Um, hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, who else makes stuff? Premier Foods do, but I didn't think they were the right answer either. I think they only had two brands I'd heard of, and one was Ambrosia. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, Quaker Oats, huh? Okay, I, I feel like I'm not making much progress on this. Who else makes... F- uh, Associated British Foods. That is... Incorrect. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't associate it with being them actually. But I was running out of people that I think it might be. I don't think it's B and G Foods either. Who, if anyone's interested in those, by the way, pay a massive dividend, uh, and everybody seems to hate them. Um, hmm. And they have one famous brand, which is the Jolly Green Giant stuff. Uh, so if you particularly like your Jolly Green Giant sweet corn. Which I think is not true of anybody ever, but uh, people in I think it's um, uh, oh where is it? Uh, it begins with M in the states. Have put up a massive Jolly Green Giant statue, 
so someone's clearly quite taken with this idea. I mean, there aren't any massive statues of like the Kellogg's snap, crackle and pop things anywhere that I'm aware of. Anyway. No, no. Or the tiger. Um, Turney. No. I feel like that's more of a kind of theme park, isn't it? I've just realised there's a lot less tension in this than we actually think because I've just miscalculated. You're actually on 13 points, <laughs> so you've already won. <laughs> this then. All right, fine. I thought I was actually... I was trying to work out whether I was trying to get level or, or win with this one point no, that no. I'm going off. So oh, who cares? You. Trust your gut. Yeah, all right. Let's try Pepsi again then. Correct. Oh, yeah, I, to be honest, it's a cruel twist of fate that they're so close <laughs> to each other, but I was scrolling through all, all of Pepsi's brands and saw Naked Juice and thought, hmm, perhaps people might think they belong to like the Innocent range or something like that, they're just a rebrand of it, and then just spotted Quaker Oats and thought, that's not something I would naturally associate with PepsiCo, but I think, obviously, you did. <laughs> so, well done, Steve. I, so, I'm mildly annoyed at myself on that one, actually. I, I looked at who made Quaker Oats before, thinking... I actually kind of like Quaker Oats more than I like other porridges, hmm. uh, Scots or whatever. Um, I imagine most people don't. But then I sort of looked at it and thought, I found out it's owned by, I think, the Quaker Oats company, uh, which is in turn owned by um, Pepsi. But there you are. Uh, that was... Oh, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, you did too well. Maybe I'll make it harder next time. Would you like a cheer? Thank you. It goes on really long, that. We'll just pretend it finished. Yeah, great. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Oh, yeah, it was a good game. I enjoyed that. I would have enjoyed it more if Paul was here, I think, because I hmm. I fancy I might have won that, unless I got both the utility one um, and uh, the... Newcastle Brown Ale one. one. Yeah, Newcastle Brown Ale one, which I might have, I guess. But even then, I probably got enough to beat Paul with whatever he can come up with. Paul's not good at these things. Uh, but anyway, we're hoping yeah. to get Paul back next week. Um, uh, we're definitely hoping he gets better pretty soon. Because it's been a really interesting week so far uh, for us. It's been a week and a day since last Monday when we last met. And since then, pretty much um, the entire market cap of the S&P 500 has reported its earnings, including Mondelez just now. Uh, we've picked out some of our favourites here. Steve's got two, I've got two. I think we've both got two that we own that have reported earnings as well. Uh, you own both That's of yours? Right, yeah. Yep. I do, yep. um, yeah, I own both of mine. Uh, we're looking at very much the kind of good and the bad of this uh, season's earnings quarter. So, Steve, do you want to kick us off with uh, whatever you kind of like best? Um, yeah, so I, I'll I'll do Teladoc first because I listened to their earnings call uh, most recently and that, there's quite a bit of it that's stuck in my head, really. So, um uh, the most interesting things that I picked out, uh, I've got a bit of a list and then I've got some notes from the call as well. So, um, But I'll just give you them uh, in list form and um, and then we'll just go over to you at the end, Steve. So, Fire away. Um, Q3 revenue year on year uh, was up 81% to $522 million. Um, they updated the 2021 revenue outlook to um, pretty much just over $2 uh, billion, which is a pretty pretty large increase again um q3 visits was uh 3.9 million 37 percent higher than the same quarter last year uh the net loss was 84.3 million um but that includes um about 71 million of stock-based compensation from the livongo merger as well so we're still seeing major acquisition costs in that um gross margin was up 380 bps year over year 
Um, they reported $826 million, uh, in cash and cash equivalents, which, you know, if we just extrapolate that out, is two and a half years at the current burn rate. Um, and they uh, signed some significant new agreements with CVS and with Centene as well, so two absolutely massive companies. Did anything jump out at you in the in the stats, Steve? Did you see anything that was particularly shocking? Pretty much everything you saw there is what I've got written down here. I've got them on a market cap of around 23 to 25 billion, um, mm -hmm. which I guess is interesting for their kind of price to sales ratio. I saw they were guiding for around um, a couple of billion or so. EPS was a slight miss for expectations. I mean, these are analyst expectations, right? And I know both yeah, yeah. you and I have thoughts about analyst expectations, I guess, and how how much weight we should kind of put onto them, I suppose. Um, but nothing much jumped out at me from the numbers. I was interested in that Livongo acquisition, but uh, maybe we'll come back to that one. I'll let you carry on a little bit. Okay. So I pulled loads of notes off the call from um, various people, um, but um, most importantly was Jason Gorovich, CEO. He came out with all sorts of bits. They, they had an investor day coming, so he was kind of coy on some points, um, but he gave some pretty interesting statistics on the business as a whole. So um, he said that the late stage demand pipeline had um, doubled year over year, which you know means that there's a hell of a lot more people knocking at the door of wanting to do business with Teladoc. And Better Help, which is the therapy service, has continued to outperform companies' expectations. Um, he thinks it's growing at around 50% year over year. Um, repeated usage has risen 25% year over year. Um, he basically said that telehealth, everybody everybody said telehealth was a, um, a fad, but the utilization rates have continued to rise, even though the panic, uh, the pandemic has eased and the vaccinations have scaled. Um the idea being is that now that we've got less non-infectious diseases out there, um, people are now going back to standard rates of care, standard methods of care. Um, it's just not happening. It's they're still going through the old the telehealth methods. Um, number one in the JD Power um, telehealth customer satisfaction ranks. So out of everybody, all the competition out there, uh, Teladoc was um, number one. Um, he mentioned a big industry report where experts and uh, experts are now expecting virtual visits to be 25 to 50 percent of all total healthcare visits um, long term. So they're basically um, pitching Teladoc as almost like a front of house. So they are the they become the um, the lady on reception who decides whether your cough is uh, infectious or not. Um, but with probably a little bit more training. Um, he said that the cost to acquire customers is consistently falling. He said that a lot, but he never ever puts any statistics to it, which is a shame. I'd like to see that um, a little bit more. Um, so there's some new primary 360 agreements. There's CVS Health and there's Aetna. Um, Aetna is um, Medicare. In, um, it's launching in four states in America. I think Centene is also in four states next year as well. Um, the My Strength, which is targeted mental health, which there is as part of the, the deal with Lavongo. The pipeline has grown by healthy double-digit percentages sequentially, and they are um, beginning to roll that out now internationally as well as nationally. And uh, he said a little bit of a little sort of tip on the end that he had a conversation with the CEO of a large health centre two weeks ago about how we can stand up a white label primary 360 offering to serve as a front door to wrap around hospital systems. The capability of the product is beyond what we can even imagine today. And the idea is that Microsoft Teams would obviously be a large part of this integration. So it's basically what we said earlier, front of house for uh, hospital, almost like a screening service. So you don't get A&Es full of people who aren't actually sick. Um, so just a couple of notes on chronic care because that's um, 
another mm. part of the Lavingo. Um, chronic care enrollment was up 31% year on year to 725,000, uh, which is plus 16,000 members sequentially, which was exactly in line with expectations. 24% of chronic care patients are now enrolled in two or more programs, which is uh, 8% increase year on year and 20% as of the last quarter. Um, chronic care momentum is positive, very positive. Um, Total chronic care program enrollment rose 45% year on year versus 60% year on year. Um, and then they just said that there were several more um, Livongo modules are actually waking the way into Teladoc. So on the back of this, I thought this is a pretty good quarter. I couldn't really see anything to fault here. And uh, straight away, the stock was down 5% in um, in the pre-market or the post-market. And I thought, well, that's not that doesn't seem the right, the right kind of reaction. And I saw Barron's put an article that just said, we've been here before, Teladoc with dodgy earnings, blah, 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 blah. But if you go look at that article today, what I did just to pull some quotes out of it, they've changed the headline because the day after it, Teladoc was up nearly 10%. And that is probably about where it needs to be. Um, you were looking at Morningstar earlier, Steve. How, how did it score in terms of um, its value? So it's interesting. Morningstar has this as a buy. They have it as a kind of four star and they have a fairly high uncertainty rating on it, which I think is fair enough for a company like this. I think predicting them precisely is quite difficult. So you want a kind of wider uh, net for how much you're willing to pay for this sort of thing. Barron's is an interesting kind of outfit. I mean, their headlines appear to be either everything's terrible or everything's amazing. So when we Mm -hmm. put together our kind of pre-show sheet with some quick links for each other to look at when we want to put something on the uh on the agenda for this one um we normally offer each other at least a website to get started with and then you can go and take that in whatever direction you want and i found all the barons earnings reports and two of them are this company's horrendous and everything's ruined and two companies are this is amazing and the stock is doing whatever it's doing in this situation uh i was interested in teladoc um i was looking at its pricing now last i saw it was about 146 today which is interesting to me because that's about where it was in March 2020, uh, which is, of course, just about the kind of time that everything started uh, going to chaos and really kicking off in a way that would suit Teladoc, you might think, or that was going to drag Teladoc's name into the front. Teladoc by itself, as it then was, uh, for what that's worth. Um, So the price is about back where it was. I was interested in your observation that utilisation rates keep going up in this situation. So... Yeah, it might have looked like a bit of a fad. At the very least, it might have looked like something that had a bit of a tailwind behind it that was going to turn out to be slowing in terms of growth. But it's still growing like an absolute weed. It's still losing money. Uh, Q4 earnings guidance, I think, was forecast to lose about the same as they lost this time, I think. Uh, think At about 65 cents per share. Um, So... I guess I'm not going to ask the question I asked last week, by the way, which is the stupidest question anyone's ever asked, where they're asking you whether Pinterest is a better buy at a lower price than you bought it at before, uh, because I can't think of any company at all that's a worse buy at a lower price than when you previously bought it. It's the same damn companies with a lower price. Thank you, everyone, for not pointing that out in the comments, by the way. Uh, I felt <laughs> bad about that directly I said it. Um, but such is the lack of editing on this show that that got left in. Um, but how do you feel about buying it here, Steve? Um, it's at 146 or so. I, it's a loss-making company, which makes it a bit tricky for me to try and gauge exactly what I should think of this from a pricing perspective. People at the Motley Fool are generally not very helpful at this kind of thing. They don't have much to say on the subject of valuation other than go and ask Demodoran, which is not bad advice, but it's not particularly practical for me to follow it in the case of Teladoc. Hmm. 
it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky business to score and i think i was reading the morning star reports and they said that it's got no moat and when you have no moat you have to be the best and arguably teledoc is the best it's the first mover and it's uh it's probably got the largest scale and the most cash so um it's got a lot of things going for it. i think the the other beautiful thing about it is that it doesn't really have the likes of microsoft breathing down its neck trying to compete microsoft has rather than compete has just said hey look let your product is really good. We'll we'll uh, we'll lend you teams. We'll we'll go into teams. We'll we'll merge those two systems together, and uh, you know it, it solves a hell of a lot of development. And to be honest with you, it's not just development; is it? it's a hell of a lot of recruitment onto the platform as well. So, Tesla not being a buy, I would say it's a buy all day at the moment. I think it's it's uh, at one forty before the pandemic. It was uh, incredible. It's had all all of its growth pulled forward by at least two or three years and it's still growing off the back of it um at an absolutely incredible rate so um for me it's a it's a really big position in my portfolio anyway i think it's the the fifth biggest which when you consider um it doesn't make any profit um it, it's a tricky thing to have so big when especially when you've got the likes of asml google um amazon and well even though squib doesn't make money um but squib should make absolutely loads of money but squib in front of it and then it's teledoc um but even so i'm tempted to make it an even bigger position um you got any any further thoughts on steve is it something you're actually looking at seriously or is it just just does it need to make some money first or it's floating in the back of my mind i guess here's one point that i don't put too much stock into from what you mentioned there which isn't something you were saying in support of your view but the fact that morningstar don't assign this emote rating um or think it doesn't have a moat i think is partly a feature of the kind of idiosyncrasies of how morningstar thinks about moats so there's kind of two ways you might think about a moat right i mean clearly this is a metaphor right uh this is a kind of architectural uh moat round a castle type thing and i guess there's two ways you might think of a moat you might think of a moat as something that just is basically a barrier to entry uh effectively um and strictly speaking you can have a barrier to entry around something that's complete garbage uh, you can build a moat around a really, really useless castle uh, or a really unimpressive castle that, frankly, no one wants to attack anyway. But it might still be the case that you've built a moat around it. Um, Morningstar don't think about moats like that. Uh, they think about moats in terms of um, an ability to generate returns in excess of what they consider to be your cost of capital for the moment, uh, and which makes it very hard for any loss-making company to have a moat. Uh, in any particular way. So a good example that brings this out for what it's worth is energy transfer, uh, which they think doesn't have a moat. That has a lot of kind of protective barriers to entry and stuff, right? Sticking pipelines under the ground is is a fairly well protected and hard to do sort of thing. It's not mm. like that's something that you or I could go and do with the right kind of capital and so on. Um, but they don't assign it a moat because they think it's made such a mess of that business that it no longer can generate any kind of decent return. So they might be right about that. Uh, but that is the consequence of thinking about moats in a very particular kind of way. And Teladoc being ahead uh, in their way of thinking about things might well be something that kind of gets them a kind of competitive advantage, even if Morningstar don't recognise it as a moat. So I wouldn't worry too much about that particular thought. Uh, the Livongo acquisition kind of caught my eye a little bit, though, on um, Teladoc. Uh, so the combined market cap of this company, the now merged entity, is about 23, 25 billion or so, I think. I've written <laughs> 25 down at the top and 23 down further on the page. Did they pay about 18.5 billion in cash and stock for Lavongo? They did, yes. Yeah. So at the time, Teladoc was 18.5 billion itself, so it was a 37 billion combination. So That feels 
quite high if you think they've spent out 18 and a half out of sort of 23, 25 on, um, on Livongo. And of course they bought Livongo, whatever we kind of think about it in terms of it not being a fad or anything like that, but its stock price was acting like, like it had a big tailwind behind it, like a sort of COVID thing, right? They bought it at fairly expensive time for these kind of companies, right? You see, the thing is, it's one of those acquisitions where I think that Teladoc was almost forced to buy it because somebody else might have done. Mm-hmm. Um, Livongo had built out its um, its kind of digital health disease management platform, and it, and it was growing very, very quickly. And it was one of those things where Teladoc obviously took out Livongo, not just to bolster its own services, but to stop somebody else getting a really good kickstart into the market. So whatever you think about the purchase price at the time is irrelevant, really, because in 10 years' time, that, that deal will probably look to be very good. As we see with things like YouTube, as we see with things like Instagram, everybody says, hell, you paid a billion pound for something that just, you know, just, just crapped money away, and now YouTube generates a very decent portion of uh, Google's revenue, and Instagram does too, so... Yeah, there was something similar that was mentioned like that on Amazon's acquisition of their um, <laughs> the Pink Panther, basically. Uh, it was a case of there's only limited numbers of these things around. You buy it or someone else buys it, basically. And that kind of does drive the price a little bit. But it might well be worth it to them. And definitely sort of 10 years out, I think you're going to be absolutely fine here. I wonder whether in the short term that was an expensive sort of move. One of the things I quite liked about the PayPal Pinterest um, acquisition that I was we were looking at last time was that Pinterest had been in a, a kind of descending share price move, which was meaning that they PayPal at least got a chance to take them out at a discount to where their share price had historically been. Maybe that's not where it should have been, but there was a decent chance them to make a move on that. Teladoc ended up having to, maybe having to, I guess, uh, take out Livongo fairly high. Uh, so I guess that's my only kind of question mark over that, how that plays out. But that only means, I guess, that you'll... You'll find a delay uh, to the kind of reaction for this sort of thing. But while they keep putting up big growth numbers, it's hard to see how that kind of really gets in the way forever. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Um, let's move ourselves on then to uh, Lockheed Martin, which is one that I own. Um, And I was really looking forward to this uh, for this earnings season. I wasn't necessarily thinking it would be great or bad, but I was really interested to see what would happen. So in their Q2 earnings, they reported a big one-off hit on a classified project. And a lot of Lockheed Martin stuff is classified projects, for what it's worth. Um, But there was a lot of hopes that that might have been a new Air Force fighter. And the one-off hit they had when everything else was going quite strongly was going to be a really, really big thing uh, for them. And I was wondering whether we might hear anything about that in uh, this particular Q3 uh, set of earnings. Spoiler alert, we did not. Um, <laughs> but here's what did happen. So here's the headline for the moment. Revenues came in slightly short. They were $16 billion ahead instead of $17.1 billion. Uh, EPS was $2.21 per share. And if you know Lockheed Martin's share price, which is up in the 300s or so, that doesn't sound like a lot. Um, it was forecast for one97 which is a big 65% decline year over year. That is due to a pension commitment, for what that's worth, rather than any enormous substantial problem uh, with the business. I think that's also a one-off, so that's okay. Um, and then having had a sort of narrow miss on earning, on revenue, sorry, and a small beat on earnings, uh, the stock went in the bin, basically. Uh, it was 3.76 before earnings, having run up a little bit into the earnings call, down to 3.28 now. Uh, down to 328, sorry, from there, now down to 326. So it's down about 13% on 
on a smallish miss. Uh, and the reason for that is because they've changed their forecast for 2022 and for this quarter. So revenues were poor and it looks like both top and bottom lines are going to stay quite poor uh, for the next year or so. They're now forecasting basically flat at the top or low single digit growth. Uh, and they are hoping for an uptick later in the decade when some of their kind of uh, contracts that they're in competition for come through, their classified projects come out as well. But they are basically expecting a year in the wilderness um, in terms of earnings anyway. They're expecting, saying basically don't expect anything in terms of growth or maybe low single digits or so. And the market's reacting accordingly, um, so it seems. What they are planning on doing, however, while they kind of wait um, is pushing their shareholder returns. So they're going to use their free cash flow. They're going to have $6 billion into buybacks, uh, which is on a company with a now $90 billion market cap uh, and falling. Um, so don't know how far that will go by the time we get around to actually doing these. And there's a dividend increase of about 7%, which will take them up to 280 a share, uh, which is maybe of interest to dividend investors. Certainly it's a decent push behind that. But you are going to have to wait for a year or so. Um, and they've had this familiar kind of problems in their most recent set of earnings. So they've had supply chain disruptions because that's the thing. Uh, they've had F-35 production costs, the F-35 being their main um, contract they have. That's under contract till 2070, but the entire production might not come through on that. The US withdrawal from Afghanistan, which there are various different ideas on, and the UK nationalizing atomic weapons, all of which has kind of weighed on them a little bit. But the news is bad, and it's not getting better, at least not in the short term. Uh, so with shareholders told to kind of sit quietly for a year or so, um, it's hard to know what they should make of that. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting... Um, it's it's interesting, really. I was looking through the um, a couple of stories this evening, and and um, I did also see a story where uh, two of your companies have, have signed an agreement um, in the last couple of hours. I don't know whether you saw it before we came online that Verizon and um, Lockheed Martin have signed a deal to work together on 5G technologies, um, okay. which is quite interesting. But I think Lockheed Martin's earnings have the potential and revenue have the potential to be quite lumpy, especially um, for, for the reasons that you've stated. I think they're quite exposed to sort of um, the macro environment and, and political climate. So... Um, there is, it's almost like they're asking you to just wait for a war. Um, but you know, I guess that's what you are waiting for. There is, you've got a big infrastructure bill coming, which has a decent amount of spending for defense. Everybody else is committing to spending a little bit more on defense. Some of that money has to go to Lockheed Martin because they're the best at what they do. Um, but there is a lot of companies around them that are snapping away at their heels and trying to take market share away from them. I think the fighter jets and and uh, those kind of things they're pretty they're pretty solid. Um, but you've got to wonder about their software divisions, things like that. There's I suppose there's Palantir. Uh, she's always seems to be able to do everything. Um, but be interesting to see how that goes. For anyone who's interested in this kind of thing, by the way, I was listening to a really good uh, piece from Lou Whiteman, who was um, on the Motley Fool Industry Focus, giving an overview of all the defence stocks, all the big defence stocks. So he talked about uh, Northrop Grumman, talked about General Dynamics, talked about Boeing, talked about Lockheed Martin. The one to keep an eye on if you're interested in software stuff there is General Dynamics. Um, software and submarines is where they're at at the moment, um, and definitely worth looking at those quite closely. There are a couple of things that are worth sort of thinking about, I guess. One is that withdrawing from Afghanistan might actually be long-term bullish for Lockheed Martin. He was saying, this is his take, not mine. 
partly because it's in general bullish for the sector. The reason being, if the US is focusing its defence on Russia and China and working out what they're up to and trying to stay ahead of them, that's probably something that requires more innovation, more spend, more uh, pace of change than attempting to fight in Afghanistan, where you probably don't need quite the leading cutting edge um, technology that you do for keeping up with the other superpowers, um, which is an interesting thought, I guess. Yeah, as I say, more more software-based, high-margin software, less boots on the ground, I suppose, is, uh, is uh, well, it's beneficial for everybody, I guess. It's probably beneficial for everybody, yeah. I mean, unless anything actually happens, in which case it's a disaster for everybody. But yeah, I absolutely. suspect we won't be around to care if that happens. That's absolutely true, yeah. One thing that I saw on this, actually, from Lockheed Martin is that it's kind of reflective of what used to be the kind of old-fashioned view about dividends, for what it's worth. So Lockheed Martin have said look, we're not going to try and grow for the moment or we're going to attempt to, but we don't anticipate being able to do it for a year or so. So here comes the money, basically. We haven't got a use for it. We can't think of a sensible thing to do for it. We're going to buy some stock back because we think that's um, worth having. But look, we can't find a way to sensibly invest this money. You guys have it, shareholders. It's yours. Uh, and I know this... I, hmm, I say I know this. I think this accords quite well with the way that Paul thinks about uh, dividends. So he thinks that the point of a company, I'm pretty sure I've heard him say in a video, is to return cash to its shareholders. He's probably not going to watch this podcast so I can say anything about him. But I think he thinks that's an important uh, feature of things. And generally speaking, when companies start paying dividends, uh, historically, or when they push their dividends like this, markets have absolutely hated it. Uh, because they have seen it as a sign of basically running up the white flag, yeah, nice military analogy for you, um, and saying, look, we don't know how to grow anymore, right? We, we can't. Uh, if we knew what to do with this money, we would do with it, um, but we can't, so we're going to give it away via a dividend. Uh, and that was typically thought of as saying, no more growth, that's all we can do, uh, and therefore being really bad for the company in a certain way. Dividend investors, I think, tend to think a slightly different way. They tend to think something along the lines of, good, this is where I now cash out my kind of uh, money that I've been leaving with you people for ages in the hope that you might pay a dividend to me at some point. Um, that kind of view came off when Micron started paying their dividend um, not so long ago now. The stock on them has fallen a little bit, but they announced they were going to either start or restart their dividend, uh, and their stock price shot up. People were very pleased about that. Lockheed Martin getting the more, I guess, traditional treatment uh, for announced dividends and um, discovery that, uh, yeah, we're not going to grow just at the moment. My overall sense of Lockheed Martin, for what it's worth, just to wind this one up, is that I think it's underpriced. I think it's a good buy. I don't think I would hurry out to go and buy this because the company saying there's going to be a year or so of no growth. I think you've got plenty of time on this one. I don't anticipate the stock shooting up. If they keep cutting deals with mighty companies like Verizon, that might cause me to change my mind. Hmm. Um, but uh, my instinct when I was writing the notes for this was, I think this is a good buy. I think this is a cyclical thing getting hit by cyclical things like uh, supply chain disruption and so on. I think a lot of those things will go away. But I also don't feel the need to sell anything to go and buy Lockheed Martin because I think there's some sort of time limit on how long the stock's going to be down here for. I think I would settle in and get comfy. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's fair enough. I think this is the old sort of age-old argument of buybacks versus dividends versus um, a company trying to grow. And um, if um, you feel that you can't grow, then you pass the money out in in, in a different way. So <clears> the, the, there's no shame in this. This is you know this is just what happens. But I would suggest that Lockheed Martin's growth is not over long term. I think this is just a short term issue. Uh, 
I agree. I think we're probably looking towards the middle of the decade. Hmm. Okay, let's carry on with the other one of mine for a moment, because there's a broadly similar theme coming here. The theme is uh, cyclicals doing cyclical things, for what it's worth, and keep your eye on them, right? Because people, when cyclicals move up and down as part of the cycle, overreact. To, uh, well, they overreact both ways, I think. They overreact to ups and they overreact to downs. And when things are going in favour of your cyclical company... Um, people, your stock price will probably go too high when it will go. When it's going badly, it will probably go too low. Let's talk about Amazon. I was looking forward to Amazon uh, before this set of earnings season started because during the pandemic, of course, everyone bought everything on Amazon. Uh, basically, there was lots and lots of interest in e-commerce. Great stuff. Uh, where do you go for e-commerce? You go to Amazon, probably. Everybody hates them, uh, but everybody pretty much uses them because they are grudgingly probably the best at what they do, especially in an e-commerce way. Uh, their revenues were another small miss. Um, they were 110.8 billion versus 111.6 they were supposed to hit. So that's not far off, but it is a bit under. Their EPS was a long way off, though. Uh, their EPS was 6.12 versus 8.92 uh, expected. And their forecast for Q4 is pretty weak uh, from what I saw of it. Blamed on the same problems, uh, labour shortages, higher employee costs, global supply chain constraints, increased freight and shipping costs uh, for them. And their stock went from 3447 down to 3322, now down again to 3295, so down 4.5% here. Um, Amazon to me looks like a cyclical company doing cyclical things, and most of these issues to me look like they're going to get sorted out. Labour shortages are going to get sorted out, higher employee costs will make their way through in various ways. Supply chain constraints, I think, will ease. Um, and freight and shipping costs, I back them with their own logistics firm here. Amazon, to me, looks like a company that had a bad quarter. And it may have another bad quarter. And the market might panic again. Uh, but it's my biggest holding. Um, and I would say it's not nice being down a lot on your biggest holding. But it is still green, which is something. Uh, and I actually wouldn't mind adding more to it at these levels. What do you think about Amazon, Steve? The same thing, really. Um, I think... The most of the problems are, are pretty easily overcome for Amazon. I don't think there's anything here that we're seeing as a major a major hurdle that's going to make them suffer for more than a few quarters. Um, the uh, labour shortage, um, people are going to go to work soon because the uh, alternative is running out of money. And um, Amazon are looking for a lot of uh, employees. Um, they will quite comfortably start hiring people uh, when those uh, pandemic paychecks uh, run out. So I don't see an issue with that. I think they're doubling down on their logistics. They're doubling down on their uh, fulfillment centers. So um, I think there was a statistic that it's 40-something percent they were looking to increase the fulfillment centers by. So, I mean, that's almost <laughs> that's almost adding half of them on there again. And Amazon already has a lot of fulfillment centers. So um, they're really doubling down on this. I think they'll, um, they'll come out of this uh, stronger. Um, I don't think they're in any danger whatsoever. Um, and and the, the obviously the jewel in the crown AWS just went from strength to strength. So um, yeah, I think they uh, they were always a very good buy at this price, and I think they'll continue to be so. Yeah, I think that as well. So I was interested in them coming into this quarter because all of those kind of problems that we described were pretty well known about in general terms. I mean, it wasn't known how well they would weigh on Amazon specifically. But we're aware of labour shortages. We're aware of higher employee costs. We're aware that there's global supply chain constraints and so on, and that shipping and freight are more expensive. This has affected pretty much every online retailer. And the only interesting question uh, for me was how much this would affect Amazon. Because I shop on Amazon, uh, and I hadn't noticed any particular delay in getting anything that I'd wanted to get. Um, 
things had always seemed to be at least available enough um, and delivered pretty swiftly. And I hadn't particularly suffered at the hands of any of these things. Now, clearly, that's a fairly unusual experience. Um, Amazon struggling a bit in the same way that everything's struggling. But I did wonder whether this might drive the secular trend that we kind of saw the reverse of at the start of the pandemic. So at the start of the pandemic, aside from groceries, basically everyone bought everything online, partly because all the retail stuff was shut for non-essential retail, and partly because it was easier and faster and in many ways cheaper. Um, and everyone thought, well, look, this is the end of brick and mortar non-essential retail. It's probably not the end of Tesco, right? But it's the end of um, non-essential brick and mortar retail because this way is just better in every regard. And that always felt like it was slightly overblown to me. Uh, so we saw kind of retail-based REITs uh, plunging and so on. Um, but one thing we might see a bit more, or I was wondering whether we'd seen a bit more, was when people start making their online orders and they get told, actually, it's going to be four weeks, six weeks, nine weeks longer uh, for this thing to arrive, whether they might not start thinking, well, sod this, I'm going to a shop and I'm going to go and get it then in that case which is really good news of course for brick and mortar retail and that's apparently where they've been losing out to um fun anecdote for you during the cricket season i slid while i was fielding and tore through my trousers uh i went on our club shop online to try and get some new ones and was given a delivery date of february 2022 uh and i was kind of hoping i don't think there's a massive demand on oxenford cricket club trousers i mean they're not uh, sort of that widely uh, worn by people outside the club. They're not like, you know, playing footsie merch or something like that, available at tmill.com. Um, so those kind of delays made me think, well, look, I'm going to have to go and get some trousers from somewhere, basically. And where I went was into a sports store, uh, specifically Sports Direct, but Sports Direct being a brick-and-mortar outfit as well as an online arm. I was interested in how far this might drive things back towards brick-and-mortar retail and undo some of that effect that we saw pulling towards um, e-commerce, at least slowing that down for a bit. And it looks like that's kind of happened a bit. I still own Agree Realty, which is my um, shopping REIT, basically. It's not shopping malls, but it is uh, retail properties. Mm. That's done reasonably well in this time, so I'm on both sides of this kind of thing. But... Uh, that was kind of why I was interested in this set of earnings before we kind of came into it. I wondered whether, if anyone can kind of hold off that tide, Amazon can, uh, with its enormous size and power. And it turns out that probably a fact is that no one can. Well, it is, isn't it? You would expect that. Um, Everybody is getting hurt a little, but when you're really, really big, you get hurt a lot. And I think that's kind of what we've seen with Amazon. Um, but yeah, um, I mean... Do you want to flash over to Google really quickly? We've run 58 minutes. We can squeeze it in. I can see the time. Let's go with it. Cool. Um, um, so I've got some quick stats for you on um, Google's earnings. So um, Alphabet's revenue rose 41% year over year, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, 65.12 billion uh, over the last quarter. Um, it's the largest revenue figure that I think I've seen in 14 years from them. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big one, I think. Um, posted profit of more than 21 billion, which was more than three times the figure it reported pre-pandemic. Um, there was a little bit of creative accounting in here, uh, but nothing too exciting. Um, did you see that, Steve? You, you're looking at no. it as if you didn't see it. Um, they changed the depreciation on um, some of their things to, from four, um, three years to four years, uh, but that only equated for about 700 million. 
only sure. 700 million um but still 21 billion ha <laughs> crazy amount of profit it definitely won the fang uh, the fang earnings i don't think it was even close so. But yeah, so I saw some really interesting stats. The share price was up 57% um, year to date, so that made it also the best performer of the FANG um, stocks this year. Advertising revenue uh, was up 53, um, 253.13 billion, uh, which was, uh, I think it was 37 billion last year, so it's quite a quite a big one. Uh, yep. Revenue from cloud division, so it's actually third place. It's behind AWS, uh, which is first, and Microsoft's Azure, which is second. Um, still climbed 45% to just under 5 billion. Um, still had operating losses, uh, but that kind of just shows you how much money Google are, are, are throwing at it. They have the operate, um, operating losses um, on this from 1.2 billion to just over 600 um, million. But um, still losing money in their cloud, which is strange when you think about how well Microsoft and Amazon are doing. Um, so their chief business officer, Philip Schindler, he came up with some really interesting stuff. He said, uncertainty is the new normal. So make um, <laughs> make what you will of that. Uh, it's one of the most oddest statements I've ever seen in my life, but um, I, I was enjoying it. Uh, he did actually go on to say that um, he mentioned this because of the global economic outlook. Uh, he said that there was quite uneven access to vaccines globally and that's affecting global recoveries uh, everybody's at different stages um the world is in flux he said um <laughs> he's a very uh sort of poetic speaker he's, he's interested i've never heard Philip, um schindler speak before so but yeah um bricks and mortar isn't dead um he reckons omnichannel shopping is in full force which is technically what we've just said about amazon um retail advertising up 40 percent um which is which is kind of crazy really for the for the sector um, so a couple of other tidbits I saw that were really, really interesting. Um, Google said that in September it's buying a new, another New York City office building. It's going to spend $2.1 billion on it. Uh, it's also planning another Silicon Valley camp where it's um, it's going to be uh, like an R&D. Well, it's, it's down as an R&D center, so that'll be interesting to see what they're doing there. Um, they also announced recently that they're going to um, cut the rate, um, the take rate on the App Store to 15%, it was 30%. So if you've been seeing all your other um, companies that rely on Google and obviously Apple's App Store, which has followed suit, you'll notice they should have a little bump in their um, gross margins. Um, Spotify in particular, because I think they've gone down to 10%. So that's uh, that should add quite a bit to Spotify. So it'd be interesting to see uh, their earnings. Um, but yeah, really, really, really interesting um, from Google. I thought it was... Uh, by far the best of the fang and probably didn't go up as much as I thought it probably deserved off the, the back of those earnings. Nope, I've got it up about 4% just under when I looked earlier from where it was before earnings. Uh, its Android operating system is doing a very good job of protecting it from what we might call the Snap and Facebook um, battering they took from Apple. So Apple's uh, iOS system doesn't affect Google in the same way. Their stuff runs off its own uh, OS which means they got protected from that. They're inflation-proofed reasonably well because they don't really have that much by way of inflationary inputs, although I think there might be a little bit of a delay on the Pixel, uh, their new thing, but that's a small part of their um, overall business. This is a really impressive set of earnings, and I, when I was looking at this, I was trying to work out what I think goes wrong here. I, I can see another potential catalyst coming their way, actually, which is that if um, what was Facebook now meta something... Um, Meta platforms, uh, whatever it's called, um, struggles here. The basically the fight for kind of advertising money digitally was between those two, um, and if Meta loses share, I think that goes towards Google and helps Google a lot more. 
the bit that I kind of like most for them here is I don't see them getting kind of skewered in the same way that Meta does because I don't think Google deliberately... When I search for stuff on Google, I see stuff come up at the top and I'm pretty well aware that that's what someone has paid to have come up at the top. Mm. And I don't have a problem with that in the slightest. Um, I personally don't mind whether the ads are targeted at me or whatever, but it feels like they're not kind of out to make me feel bad about myself in the way that Instagram does to generate clicks or something like that. Fine with the idea that um, your preferred company is paying you so their stuff goes to the top of the search engine? Sure. Fine that there's a whole industry devoted to trying to get people to the top of the search engine list. Uh, Fine with that as well. But they don't seem to have the kind of... um, Morally dubious character of Facebook, I guess. Uh, Their take rate had to come down, I think. That was kind of required, wasn't it, by um, someone or other? Well, it it wasn't actually required, but I think they've all jumped the gun just to kind of ease Mm -hmm. the regulatory pressure. I think that's one of the things, isn't it? When somebody starts looking at something um, and you don't change quickly, you start they start to spot other things in the business they want to change, and it ends up snowballing. So sometimes it's best to just take the hit. I was reading a number that was 12 billion for buybacks or something, which again feels more like kind of antitrust stuff of let's not draw attention to ourselves by trying to acquire things. Let's buy ourselves back out again. That's um, essentially, is... yeah, that's essentially it. It's the same. The same Ideal. Would say. Yeah, just, just buy back and don't, and don't, you know, keep the spotlight off us. Sometimes it feels like we make investing harder than it has to be. Uh, I'm just going to put this thought out there for the moment. I had a look today and it's on a trading PE of 27 and a forward PE of 25 growing at around 24% at the mm. bottom line. Uh, I think increasingly, we talked about this right back near the start of the kind of playing footsie podcast careers that we have. And we talked about a lot of Google's money not making it through to the bottom line. I think price earnings ratio is becoming more relevant uh, for Google for what it's worth. It feels like they are no longer quite a company that's busy investing everything for growth and so on. So it's not making it through to the bottom line and therefore it's on an extraordinary inflated multiple. I think... 27 might be a fairish multiple for where that actually is for what it's worth but that's as 27 and 25 which compares pretty favorably against microsoft which also had a very good earnings quarter for what it's worth um but that and 23 times for facebook feels like there's not much to dislike here right has a net margin of around 30 i think percent uh for google has Mm. no debt that's not covered by its cash um, or current assets more generally. Very hard to find anything to dislike about this company. Uh, I think it was the first playing foot, Steve, that we did together uh, where I think you said you'd bought Google again and we're going to hold on to it now forever. Um, that's working out quite nicely for you so far. Yeah, it is. It is, And, and I think you'll probably remember about three or four weeks ago I said, have you ever been tempted to just roll your whole Amazon position into Google? Um, and uh, that would have been uh, that would have been a pretty decent move, at least in the short term. But um, in the long term, I think we've got two winners there um, that we just need to add to, add to, add to, and let them do the thing. As as Mr. Feroldi is permanently telling us, we just need to watch the business and not the stock price. I think that's right, um, especially on. I mean, Google seems to be relatively acyclical. I mean, I'm not saying it's completely immune from macro pressures, right? Mm. We saw earlier back in the pandemic when companies were under pressure for their lives and worried about going bankrupt. Yes, their advertising spend goes down because it has to, uh, and that does weigh on Google occasionally. But um, they're not kind of exposed to things like uh, supply chain in quite the same way that Amazon is. They do have products, of course. Um, they make the Pixel and various other kind of devices, but 
in general, they seem to be reasonably well placed. I know they're investing hard into their cloud stuff as well to try and get that um, up to where it might be. So they've got another growth engine coming there as well. Absolutely. Okay, we're at 107. Uh, what do you reckon? Got time for a quick bit of sampler update? I think so, yeah. Okay, so for anyone who's a recent listener to this, Steve and I were left to our own devices for the July 1st podcast when Paul wasn't around for reasons I now can't remember. I think he was on holiday then. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we thought that uh, while Paul was away, we would set ourselves up against David Gardner of Motley Fool fame and his latest uh, five-stock sampler, That's uh, it. I think. Um, and that was, of course, four months ago, pretty much to the day as we're recording this. So here's Steve with a quick update for how it's all going. Hmm. Cool. So I'll um, I'll start with David Sampler and I'll just give you um, his holdings and I'll tell you um, how they're doing. Um, David is actually in in last place, so um, more fool him. Um, so he picked. This was his last ever sampler, by the way. He's um, he's uh, not picking stocks anymore for the Motley Fool. So this is uh, if you were ever going to beat him at something, um, yeah, his legacy sampler would be the one to beat him at. Um, so David picked Peloton, Trade Desk, Axon Enterprises, who make the Taser, um, Unity Software, and Zillow Group. Um, and he's had a pretty rocky sort of four months. Peloton has had a bit of a fall from grace. Trade Desk has been pretty flat from when he picked it. Um, Axon Enterprise is up 4%. Unity is up 32.5%. And Zillow is down 29.5%. And will be more tomorrow after he has completely shut down Zillow offers tonight and plans to lay off 25% of its workforce and is writing down uh, $500 million worth of homes, which it bought incorrectly through Zillow offers mm, i was hearing a lot about this zillow office thing i heard they had to stop it because they were buying too much stuff i heard there was talk of restarting it in january so of the stocks that uh david gardner picked i could have told you that peloton was down quite big i could have told you that zillow was down quite big i couldn't have told you today's thing and i could have told you that unity software was up quite big uh the other two i hadn't heard much about but they they're sort of fairly steady for the moment then mm. Absolutely. Do you want to do yours, Steve? Can you see yours? Uh, I can't see mine, but I can tell you how it's gone. Alibaba's been a disaster, um, in case anyone has been living under a rock. It keeps attempting to rally and then keeps not doing that. I feel as though if we started that sort of a month later or so, I'd be absolutely fine Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on Alibaba for what it's worth. But uh, market timing is extremely important. Uh, and to be fair, I chose it going into that particular uh, headwind anyway the other the next one on my list is aspen tech uh which i'm just pulling up on my screen at the moment um i'm up 15 percent on that which is reasonable they have talk of them being either merged or acquired by emerson electric uh which seems like a good move actually and i now regret not buying that stock but it's now gone from being underpriced in my head to being sort of about right or so uh pg and e has gone in a kind of u-shape that's my utility uh, which I was acquiring out of bankruptcy and thinking would do well over... To be fair, we talked about it as a three-year thing, so we're, what, a ninth of the way through. Mm -hmm. um, there's still room to run on all of these. I'd rather Alibaba started running in the right direction than uh, doing that. But there is still room <laughs> to go on these, and PG&E has time to play out. But it's up about 13%. Uh, Renishaw is nearly flat. It's up some days, it's down some days. It's at minus 1% at the moment. Um, and Roblox is minus 10% because uh, I, I succumbed to some horrendous faddiness for that. 
but it comes and goes. It waxes and wanes in popularity. I think it will probably do okay. But I, if there was one that I regret picking now, it's Roblox uh, out of these. Uh, I don't know what my overall number is, by the way, Steve. Where am I at? You're down uh, 2.1%. Oh. Uh, oh David Gardner is down 4.2%, so you're, you're half as bad as him. Let's be honest. I mean, we both know that David Gardner's just playing out the rope at this stage. He's yeah, just, yeah. He's, he's just like, listening to this podcast somewhere, just sitting, thinking, look at them, look at them. Yeah, yeah. Laugh while you can. <laughs> but uh, On the subject of laughing while you can, go for it. Absolutely. I am up 5.9%, so please allow me to remove my trousers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I picked Alphabet, which is up 18.5%. I picked Sartorius, which is a a German uh, lab fit-out company, up 27.5%. I picked Autodesk, um, which is up 9.5%. I picked Tremor International, which is a small-cap AIM um, advertising advertising software business. It's down 3%. And the one that I thought would perform the best is performing the worst, which is Scott's Miracle Grow, um, down 23%. But overall, um, up 5.9%. Steve, did you pull up that stat about how well the S&P's done over the last three months? I did not. So we started on uh, July the 1st. Now is November the 2nd. If anyone wants to see how we're going compared to the S&P, uh, I don't think it's down. So I think at best one of us is outperforming it. And I probably don't really think any of us is, if I'm honest. No, uh, I, I think we're all comfortably well under the S&P at the moment. Um, but long way to run yet. But that's how that's where we're up to at the moment. Uh, what do you think? Who's going to win this? probably steve i mean it's an interesting one with the favorite and last place at the moment and it's quite early to tell still plenty of scope for stuff to happen we haven't yet seen the big run to 300 uh that paul was calling for alibaba i imagine he'll be back when that happens um yeah. we've got eight nines to go yet so it's um it's a bit early to be bragging i mean i'm happy yep. to be in front i'm happy to be at the front of the race but i sense it could all uh, end in misery Feels like you're a Scots miracle grower away from being quite a long way in front, to be fair. <laughs> Although to be, I'm an Alibaba away from being closer to you, actually. Hmm. Uh, so that's we'll see how we go on that. We'll keep you posted whether or not Paul's here to um, look confused by what we're doing. Uh, but thank you all very much for listening. Uh, that brings us to an end for this week. Um, if you're listening on Audible or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or YouTube or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from, firstly, thank you very, very much. Uh, it's really fun for us having these and uh, we love making them for you. Uh, please do leave us a review. Please do leave us a question for the Midweek Footsie. Uh, please do tell us that we look better in the masks that we had last week um, and hopefully we'll have Paul back next time. Thank you all very much for listening. Bye for now. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up. <laughs>